0: Okay, we have played Trivial Pursuit until we have memorised every clue, we have played Candyland, we have played Sorry. That's how bored we are, we've played Sorry. So what's left to do during a quarantine but make a podcast? Wow, a podcast, that sounds hard. No, Brian, it's actually about the easiest thing in the world.
1: I'm Matt Hall, and you might know me from such works as the audiobook
2: of Matt Janssen's autobiography. But this is the BRFCS Podcast. My special guest on this episode of the BRFCS podcast was born in Huddersfield on the 7th of April 1983. He's a former England Under-21 international and he earned 11 caps scoring once. Some would say he's had more clubs than Jack Nicklaus, as the old joke would have it, but I don't think that's quite right, because I think it's only 12 with Harrogate Town, but we'll get into that a little bit uh, a little bit later on. He joined Blackburn Rovers in 2004 and had a very, very memorable spell with the club, and he was instrumental in keeping us in the Premier League. It is, of course, John Stead. John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. It's great to have you on board. It's uh, absolutely fantastic to chew the cud. 12 clubs, is that right, or have I missed one?
3: Uh, I think so. I, I've, <laughs> lost, I've lost count a little bit as well, but yeah, I, I think you're right with the 12.
2: They say that the most stressful life events after a death and a divorce is moving house. You've done that an awful lot then. What, what was it like and how stressful is it constantly having to uproot and then embed yourself into a new club?
3: Uh, well, I think it's it's changed over the years, I think one thing I've kind of got used to it so we've become better at it as as a family but I think in the early days um, you know from leaving Huddersfield and going to Blackburn and then up to Sunderland and I've I've kind of hit the kind of four corners of the country really um, (laughs) when you look at the likes of Ipswich and Bristol as well so you know we've moved a lot but um you know, the first half, that's so the first five or six years, was, was myself and my girlfriend. And so when there's just the two of you, yeah. um, it, it's, it's relatively easy to pick up and, and move and, and settle in somewhere else. I think once your your family grows a little bit and, and children are involved in and schools and, and everything that comes along with that, then obviously it's more disruptive and I've kind of guided my career. Um, as best I could, so that when it was getting to a stage where I, I didn't want to be uprooting my family, um, I was at clubs where I could I could commute comfortably without yeah. affecting, obviously, my, my playing career. So, um, luckily, we've we've managed to travel, which is always fantastic, especially in younger years. And I think now we're we're, we're comfortable where we are, and we it, it won't be I okay. I won't be moving again from here. Hopefully,
2: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic stuff. You're based in Huddersfield back again, are you now?
3: Yes, Huddersfield, yeah. We've been based um, back, back here uh, since I left Bristol City and came back to Huddersfield for my second spell. And, and while I was at um, Notts County, I travelled down and, yeah. and now obviously travelling to Harrogate. So
2: Fantastic. So well, let's let's take you back to, um, to when you first probably came on the, the radar of Rovers supporters. There were all sorts of rumours at the time that we were in the market looking for a striker. And as luck would have it, there was a live FA Cup uh, Time involving a local side to us, Accrington Stanley. I can remember sitting there on the Sunday and thinking, "I'll watch this, see if this lad Stead's any good, and whether we should be signing him or not." Ninth of November, two thousand and three. Does it does it ring any bells, or have you tried to forget about it?
3: No, I can certainly remember it. I think it was only my second FA Cup game I'd ever been involved in. Um, And, uh, yeah, well, I I certainly remember I didn't score. I think I had plenty of chances, but I I certainly didn't score. So, I don't know how the viewing came across for any uh, potential suitors or supporters that were looking at me as a player. I'm I'm not sure how i have come across on that game, but... uh, yeah, well, I, I remember it well. I remember Worthy getting, uh, sorry, John Worthington getting sent off.
2: Yeah, early uh, on as well.
3: Yeah, I think fifteen, twenty minutes, something yeah. like that, maybe half an hour. Um, so we were up against it, and then we were kind of hanging on, uh, looking for probably a draw, really, to get away from the away from the tie and 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 uh, you know force it into an into another game. But I think uh, I can't remember the. I can I was trying to think of the keeper's name. I should have checked before, but I, I can remember. He, I think he got injured and he came off really late, really late. And a good, a really good friend, man, same year as me in the youth team, Phil Senior, goalkeeper. Who he still lives. He's actually a PE teacher, uh, local to me, so I'm still, I'm still in touch with Phil. And and he came on, I think, about the 90th minute. And I think no sooner as he, he'd been on, a lad smashed a, um, a volley in from like 20, 25 yards. He did. It was, it was a, a great thing. finish, to be fair. Yeah, yeah a great finish. And, can't remember his first name, but I remember it was called the Gook because I can remember yeah. all the fans shouting gook,
2: gook, gook I think he was known as Shrek as well. I think that's just to say he's not the most photogenic of players, but that was definitely yeah. his his no, to the Stanley it was, to be
3: fair It was a, a fantastic goal. And yeah, we we were we were well and truly um embarrassed, yeah. And it was like I say, it was live on TV, so it was a um yeah, not not a great game for myself especially I'd been having a decent season but yeah it was it was one of those to forget like you say
2: <laughs> yeah well I think I think it polarised opinion I think a lot of people sort of cut you some slack because obviously you would 10 men for so long but yeah thankfully Twitter wasn't around at the time yeah, <laughs> it, might, yeah. it might have had a bit of feedback I oh, hope we saw in this lad but uh, we'll, we'll yeah, get exactly, on that in yeah. due course so growing up we were you a Huddersfield Town fan yeah. as a boy?
3: Yes, I was. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I didn't get into football seriously until uh, probably the ages of ten, eleven. So me, me, early, younger than that, I wasn't really a massive football fan in general at all. Really, really. Um, but what, yeah, I was. Um, I was a keen swimmer um, all all through the younger years. Um, swam for Yorkshire and and swam before school, after school. You know, I was quite. Keen into it, and once football kind of started coming on the scene a little bit, yeah. it, it was a bit of a, a decision that I had to make which kind of avenue I'd go down because obviously the, the commitments for both of them would have been too yeah. much along with schoolwork. So, um, so yeah, so so I went into football. So I only played my first season, I think under 11s, and that was just Sunday league, you know, Hepworth United, which is a, a local, um a village team near me. Yeah, uh, and from there jumped straight into Huddersfield. So. I think probably from the ages of 11 12 was kind of when I really became a fan of of Huddersfield Town. And with, with us being in the in the youth setup, we were ball boys and and all that sort of stuff. So you were around the club and around the players, and you, and you kind of idolised them. So yeah, that was when it really kind of you know started to sink in that that football was the thing that I was passionate about.
2: Yeah, was that just about the time then that you moved grounds from Leeds Road to uh, to the new stadium and the Canal? Yeah, it was just teams.
3: after. Yeah, just after so I, ne- I never went to to Leeds Road. Um, a lot of people give me stick for that because obviously I'm not a real fan of I didn't go down there. But, uh, <laughs> Even but, I've uh, been to Leeds yeah, Road, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So once it came to, well, I've been to the plaque that's in the it's outside B and Q now in yeah. the car park, the little plaque where the centre spot was. So I, so I suppose I've been there really. But uh, yeah, once it moved to the the McAlpine as it was then, uh, that's when I started going regular.
2: So were you there on the uh, the Grand Stadium opening? Because I don't know if you recall, but your uh, Uddersfield Town's opponents that day were one Blackburn. Road Who then I think were the uh, reigning Premier League champions.
3: I can't remember that. I don't think. I don't think I will have been. No, I think it'll have been slightly after that. Maybe the season or so after. Yeah. But um, once once we started getting filtered through and all by so no, I don't. I don't remember that. So I, I think if it was something like that, I would have remembered.
2: Yeah, because I think it was Andy Booth's first spell, um, and, and there was a lot of rumours at the time that he was he was destined for the Premiership. So again, he was another one that we're keeping eyes on just in case. But he ended up at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday, of course. So when did yeah. he, when did becoming a professional footballer first become a reality when did you think yeah this this actually could be a career for me
3: uh, i think i was probably looking towards i think around year nine at school so so what's that? It's like sort of 13 isn't it 12 uh, 13 14 yeah. something like that um i think that's when you start or, or you start being asked about your career paths and and how how you think your life's going to pan out and which direction you want to kind of move towards and for me, then football was was the only thing that I was really passionate about. Obviously, the swimming had, had come and gone, which I loved, but football was the only thing, and it was it was I was realizing that I was getting better at it. There was a lot of things that I needed to work on, and like I touched on earlier, I was late into it so I think it was probably then when I really thought well let's make sure my my education's taken care of i'll get." not the bare minimum but I'll make sure I pass things (laughs) enough to to have something to fall back on and and apart from that I think I'll go for football and I think sometimes when you say that with school teachers you get um a a raised eyebrow and yeah "Yeah, but yeah but what you really going to do kind of questions but um yeah it was the only thing that I was really passionate about I enjoyed graphics at school that was probably the only other subject that I was interested in so it'd have been football or or maybe an architect or something like that but yeah, it was kind of then where I realised, you know, there's, there's an option here for me um, with going into, you know, finishing school and going into a into an academy setup.
2: And was it Huddersfield's academy then that expressed an interest?
3: Yeah, so I've been playing with Huddersfield right through, uh, and at, in in those days it wasn't really an academy as such; it was a centre of center excellence. excellence. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so yeah, from straight from school, I managed to get two years um, with with the centre of excellence and, and moved into that setup and. Uh, from there played on and off. We didn't have enough bodies for an under 17s and a nineteen side. So my, my first kind of eighteen months of the of the youth setup, I, I didn't play much football because of the obviously the older lads would yeah. take preference. Um so yeah, so it was a difficult time and and um a lot of things that again that I needed to work on. I had some good coaches that helped me a lot with some one on one stuff to get me up to scratch. Um until I physically developed a bit more instead of being a little skinny dweeb <laughs> who was just gonna get smashed everywhere. Uh so yeah, so that that's how I progressed through.
2: And how much did football come naturally to you versus having to put the effort in?
3: Um well I was very heavily weighted on on working on things that I wasn't good at and, and the effort side of it. And I think even now I look at my whole my sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, my career as a whole, I think I've not been blessed with that natural raw ability. There's things that I've had to work on a lot, um, and I've always managed to cover up some of some of my, um, you know, the weaker parts of my game with yeah. with the attitude, with with the energy, um, with, with with some sometimes the simplicity, of doing doing the simple things well, and, and you can mask um, some of your shortcomings. So I, I think I've been luckily enough, and probably clever enough to to understand that early on and make sure that i was um still progressing with my career and uh, but being as good as i can be because i know that i know there's limits to to where i can be yeah.
2: so you were receptive of coaching and maybe maybe just that soda seed as to the power of what coaching could do
3: yeah absolutely i i, I think i was i think i'm i'm somebody that that definitely likes to listen wants to learn even now I'm you know I I enjoy learning and hearing different things um a lot of that might not come now on the training pitch but whether it comes from from reading things about other managers and coaches and and different bits of literature I I enjoy that because you know they're all new things to the game even if you've been in in it for 20 years like I have so um yeah I think I was probably a you know A coach's dream in that respect because you know i wanted to learn and i realized very early that i needed coaches i needed that help i needed extra bits on on like i touched on the the weaker parts of my game and the bits that needed to get me up to the same level as the other lads so um, i was always open to it and and uh, quite keen for it
2: so what do you remember of your huddersfield town debut
3: my huddersfield town debut was who was that against it was a loss i think it was brentford um i think (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, uh, we lost. My, 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 my debut was was fantastic. So obviously playing for the the club um, the, that you've supported, and, and like I said, and, and playing with some of the lads who I'd been ball boying for, I think, yeah. you know, they coming back, you know, for his second spell, and um, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, if, if anything, because I was still only very young. Uh, I think I can't remember the score, but I think we lost two or three nil. I don't think it was a great. Um, a great occasion for us on, on the pitch and I was playing left of a, of a three up top which I did for the majority of my first season actually Um and that was down to previously having to work hard on my left foot to try and get a game at <laughs> left wing back for the youth team so um, left wing back? yeah for the youth team Well, like I said we, we only had a 19s team and we were, we were weak on the left hand side so for me at 17 the only way I could get anywhere near the team or play was I was the only one who was decent on my left foot so I ended right. up playing left wing back for, for quite a few games before I went up top, so um, so so yes, uh, David, yeah, so David enjoyed it, but I, I don't have I don't have huge standout memories from it, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, compared to I do to other other stages in my career and, and other big events,
2: so let, let's move on to those then. So, how did the interest from Blackburn Rovers first materialise? When did you become aware that it was a possibility that you might uh, might be subject to a bid?
3: Um, it, well, it was literally. Probably a week to ten days before I was turning out for my debut. Um, I, it was very, very quick as, as it was in, in in those days. Things kind of happened within a couple of days. We so we we'd played a game. We'd, we'd come back. Uh, Jack would pull me just as I'm getting off the coach and said, "You know, we've 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 accepted a bid from Blackburn." Um, I was only aware they'd, they'd been watching me one game before, so yeah. uh, I don't know how long they'd been they'd been planning it or whether it w- I was kind of a. I was on the back burner if if things you know didn't materialize with other players I was an option I didn't know which way they were looking at it but yeah it was it was very very quick so it was from there I was um I was going straight up to to Blackburn I think the following Sunday to watch against Chelsea I think we were playing Chelsea at Ewood which we lost 3 3-0 3-1 something like that um and I met Sunas you know, in in a in a stairwell, as it was out the back of the, <laughs> um, they, they, you know, they'd invited myself and my stepdad to come up. We'd had a, we'd had a meal uh, in the corporate area and stuff before the game, and, yeah. and watched 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 the match and everything. Still not not seen the manager or spoken to anybody. We were just kind of there as guests, and um, afterwards, the one of the stewards kind of said, "Oh, you know, just just nip round here. that, You know, the manager would like to speak to you." So it was literally in a stairwell, you know, at the back of the stadium, and he, uh, I I can remember it. To this day, like I say these these are vivid memories that I have. And he just sort of said, um, "How are you doing? You all right? Brilliant, yeah, fine." You know, shook his hands, said hello, and then he said we just kind of went quiet for a few seconds, and then he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, "Can you handle? Can you handle that then?" And I, you know, me, you know, rash nineteen year old, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I should have been playing today. Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, Um, so give it all the big one. and then." Uh, yeah, and and that was it. He said good, and uh, the next day I was I was there for training. So you know it was literally as quick. As
2: wow, that. fantastic! What what did you make of Graham Souness? Because I think he's one of those. Certainly as a pundit, recently as he seems to have mellowed, shall we say, except when he's talking about Paul Pogba. But the stories are legion about him as a manager. How much of it was true, and how much of it is myth?
3: Uh, I I didn't see. Much of the, I mean, I saw, I saw spells. I saw times when he, he was, he was very animated and and angry and and uh, and was very vocal at, at the players, um, you know, after games and stuff. But the majority of the time, he was very calm and collected, really honest and direct, yeah. um, you know. And I, I really, really got on with him. I liked him a lot. Um, he'd, he'd been a very different sort of character to what I'd had previously with Peter Jackson. Um, but a very a very friendly and and a and, and nice guy to talk to you know it was, the the good thing that I had is he'd obviously brought me to the club. I saw him as as some kind of you know life changing you know messiah that had just given <laughs> me the opportunity to go and to go and play Premier League football you know I was just like in in complete awe and debt to him yeah. um, for for the opportunity and and that's that 's how I looked at him he could have done probably could have done no wrong in my eyes because of because of what he had done to get me to the premier league so um yeah i, I had very good dealings with him and and uh, and was very sad to see him go
2: yeah were you, were you playing in that six a side game where he tackled Dwight
3: york <laughs> yeah I was yeah Or would have ring your lawyer first before you answer <laughs> well I was, it was funny that because i i didn't i ended up being on on the staff team so i was on the team with with obviously the gaffer Oh, Dean Saunders was on there, and then there was somebody else as well. But obviously, um, Yorkie was on on the other side, and they just started having a having a pop at each other verbally, and it was a bit of banter. But like you know, they could see they were like getting agitated with each other, and then the ball started coming near them. So then there was a few <laughs> little kicks, and a few nudges, and a, a few slide tackles. And then before you know it, they were pretty much kicking the ball to the you know if if, if it was the gaffer he'd kick the ball to Yorkie and then just go straight at go straight at him (laughs) to try and fire through him and then Yorkie'd do the same he'd like misplace a pass so that it went towards the gaffer so that he could just sprint and try and two-foot him so they you know they just ended up pretty much scrapping and the this the training session got kind of called off really but um Yeah, for me, I'm I'm just (laughs) thinking, what on earth is going on here? (laughs) Just staying well away from it and um, and observing from a distance. But yeah, I think that was the only time where you know I saw I've seen him completely lose his rag. And and to be fair, the they were both out of order. You know, it was it wasn't one or the other. Yeah, Yeah, they were they were both in in the moment having an argument, going at it, you know, tooth and nail with each other. And do you know what that's happened? Somewhere, every, everywhere I've been, yeah. you know, through, throughout my career, there's there's always a time when somebody loses the rag, and there's there's a bit of a scuffle or there's a bit of something. But more often than not, ten minutes later, it's forgotten about.
2: Clears the air, yeah, all the rest of it. You must yeah. have wondered though, one month in, but it's just a, <laughs> second thoughts looming and all the rest of it. But your yeah. debut was away at Middlesbrough, yeah, and you scored. What what do you remember of that game?
1: ship ball in, flick cross back there helping defend, Emerton on the edge of his own box it falls for Shaw, who wastes
0: no time in just pumping it off field and if Gallagher can get this one, maybe he has a chance flicks it past Rigger, this could be Gallagher in one-on-one, Mills comes back falls to Stead with a chance, who scores on his debut, an unbelievable start to his Blackburn career, Paul Gallagher with the break, Mills with a challenge it fell for Jonathan Stead who cool as you like, slotted it right footed, back Past Mark Swartz and on his debut, the one million pound signing Jonathan Stead, the scorer. And thirty eight minutes into this match, it's Middlesbrough nil, Rovers won.
3: Um, well, I remember the goal. I've got I've got photos of the goal, and and um, you know, Gally I think chased, chased the yeah. ball down, and I don't know if he played it to me or the defender did, but they defended it, but the man managed to squirm it across the kind of eighteen yard line, and um. It was just a first-time finish, quite an instinctive side foot, really. Just passed passed it into the corner and it went straight in, in front of our travelling fans. Um, So went and celebrated towards them. But, yeah, I mean, I was shocked I was even playing. You know, I I couldn't believe I'd started the match. Um, And, uh, yeah, to get the goal was brilliant because that's what you want. You need... If there's any doubt in in your mind as to what am I doing here, I'm looking round. You know, yeah, I think I think you know Gareth Southgate was playing in that game, I think as well. And you know, you, I'm just thinking, you know, how have I ended up here? Uh, so to get the goal was nice because it settles you down and it just gives you that um, kind of inner, inner belief and, and confidence that that yeah, you, you're here for a reason. You're all right. You're holding your own. You've, you've scored. We, you know, everything's going well um what i wanted to make sure to is he did his carry on scoring like i had been for the first part of the season you know at huddersfield and yeah. and um and it was a great way to go and do that
2: what was it like walking into that dressing room then so we've already touched on uh, dwight york being there but andy cole was around at the time so as you sort of say you're coming in as a raw 19 year old how welcoming is a a changing room to a, to a new young lad that's coming in
3: um well i think i was lucky because although I mean, there was a real mix in, in that dressing room. I mean, there was the superstars of sort of, you know, Coley and York who I could, I could hardly look them in the eye. I was that starstruck. And then, <laughs> but then you've got like the likes of, you know, the older pros, you know, Gary Flickcross, Craig Shorts. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, Lucas Neal, you know, the, the, these are all well-established, but Solid proven professional, professional men, nice guys. Um, and they were, they were brilliant with me, all, all of them. It, there wasn't anybody that wasn't but you know they they kind of stood out as the ones that they could see I was a bit starry-eyed and a, you know not really used to the situation so they, they were very helpful with with the day-to-day rules and do's and don'ts and and that sort of thing and, and all the staff were fantastic as well so it, it was looking back it was an easy transition there was yeah. a lot going on in my head and and obviously you know it was a bit of a whirlwind but as far as um, a group of players accepting me, then it, it was it was first class, and I ended up living in Bromley Cross um, in Bolton, yeah. like very well, stone's throw from from Gary Flick Cross House, and Lucas lived up the road, so we would socialised together as well, and you know they they could they could sink a pint as well, so they, they showed me the ropes, <laughs> they showed me the ropes with that as well around uh, around Manchester and Bolton, and it was just all new and exciting, and it, you know it, it was fantastic, so they they were a, a very a very good group to go into.
2: What's your favourite Rover's memory?
3: I think pro- probably, the, I mean, the Man United goal stands out. That's, that's, that's the one point. I was hoping
2: you'd say, I must
1: admit. Yeah. <laughs> Douglas flicks the ball on, Gallagher tries to get past Brown, he doesn't get there, he falls for Stead, Gallagher on the edge of the area, tries to turn away from one man, tries to turn away from the other,
0: on his left foot, Lay through towards Stead, is this the moment? Stead's gone for almost! And what an impact from Paul Gallagher! First touch, he laid the ball through to Jonathan Stead! And right foot he took a touch with the ball past Tim Howard. And Premiership safety is surely now guaranteed. It's Rovers one, Manchester United nil. The dream continues as Jonathan Stead is the scorer. But I've got,
3: I've got, because obviously she- Shearer as well was a big. You know, hero of mine. So scoring against Newcastle, and equalising that game, and getting Shearer's shirt after the game. Um, you know, which is still framed with mud on it. You know, that I've got now. You know, they, they were nice moments, but the, the yeah, the Man United one to score against Manchester United is, you know, whenever or wherever it happens is just, it's just something that you, you can, you could kind of retire on. Really, I was yeah. thinking, you know, yeah. that I've scored against Manchester United. My stepdad, huge, huge Man United fan. So it was. <laughs> it, it was just a very, very, very special, a special day for, for us as a family, really. And I think that was kind of the point where we thought, "Wow, this—you know—I've I've kind of—it's Got, got, yeah, it's happening. I've got here, you know." Yeah. Um, so it was a very, yeah, very emotional day, and and I'm, you know, right up there with the the top moments in my career.
2: So, Graeme Souness hot it to Newcastle, if the rumours are to be believed shortly before he would have got the push from the board in any event, and in mm-hmm. comes Mark Hughes. And I've got to be honest, at that time, I was thinking that Mark would get hold of you and really turn you into this this all-star, all-round centre-forward, but it, it never seemed to quite happen. How, how did it feel for you being on the receiving end when a new manager comes in and he doesn't seem to give you the chances that you've had under the old one?
3: Yeah, it was it was a real um, strange scenario. I wasn't sure how to approach um, my dealings with him. I wasn't really sure what to say, when to speak to him, how how to go about it. I'd always been, um, I'd not worked under many managers up until then. So, and for for me again, you know, Mark Hughes, Ian Wrights, these are the type of people who I idolised. So to, to to have him there in front of me, I'm thinking, well, this. On paper, this is match made in heaven. He's a top striker, very, very old fashioned centre forward. Um he must the way he plays, he must he must share the same values as me. You know, we, yeah. we must have a lot in common. I'm like Bill Striker's union yeah. thinking this is gonna be perfect. Um and then we just never just never saw eye to I just never felt comfortable um approaching him and speaking to him. We had very, very limited dealings. I think I was probably in his office three or four times. Couple of times to ask to go on loan to try and get some games, um, which he declined, you know, straight away without much reason, really. Um, and then when he said, "We've, you know, we've we've accepted an offer," you can go and you can go and speak to um, Sunderland and Charlton, which were the two two offers that which they'd accepted. Um, so apart from that, I didn't I didn't have much dealings with. And I don't I've I've, I've spoken to other players and they've had similar experiences with him. Um, and and. And it was disappointing, and obviously I wanted to my career to to keep moving forward. And you know, I was I was riding on this um, kind of crest and, and and wave of of you know thinking this is it. you know, Absolutely. I'm just going to go. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, be yeah. playing regular for England in another year. And you know, you, you're kind of looking looking forward, thinking you know, not this is easy. Nothing can go wrong. Um, very naively. Fate <laughs> has um, uh, a hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was just disappointing, and and I, I didn't know how to deal with it. Maybe some sometimes I could have. I don't get me wrong. I might not have been performing as well. You know, I wasn't scoring goals. when I was playing, you know, when I was on the pitch, I wasn't lighting it up. So I, I, I take that responsibility as well. Obviously,
2: how how did you? recognize the loss of form though and to what did you put that down because you're still the same guy you've still got the same skill set you've you've had a successful season you've kept rovers in the premier league and it's just not happening for, for a professional athlete how much of that is is in the head
3: i'd say nearly all of it i think that is a huge a huge side of the game which again it's it's hindsight it's getting older and more experienced that you're you tune into how you're feeling about things a, a lot more. I think it's still a, a part of the game which is hugely um, underdeveloped mm-hmm, and, and needs a lot needs a lot of work needs a lot of um, needs a lot more honesty and a lot more openness from from players. And and I think if the if us as players recognise that a lot more, it could be used as a massive tool and an asset for us rather than a yeah. than a demon, um, especially for strikers. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think we've dealt with it at all, really. I, I, you know, as as a professional, I'm thinking um, I'm not doing anything different. You know what? Why? Why am I not scoring? Um, or why am I not doing the things that I was doing? You know, the season before. And for the first time in my career, I was I was at that crossroad. I, I'd, I'd not had that before. I'd just been jumping forward. Yeah. Things have been getting better. Yep. Next step. Yep. Cracked it. Next step. Yep, cracked it. So now it gets to a point. Well, ooh, I've hit the top, and now yeah, I'm I'm struggling. You know, I'm struggling to stay here. And it uh, it it was. I think looking back now, it was a, a, a lot more difficult than I than I thought it was at the time. And I think the whole scenario of moving to Blackburn and everything that happened in that first season probably caught up with me. And and as mentally, I, I didn't know how to how to um, stop that from spinning back the other way. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it's, it's it's a salient point. So, how did you feel when you actually left? When you walked out of Ewood Park for the last time?
3: Um, I was. I had mixed emotions. I was excited because you know I was going to a, a huge club like Sunderland, and I and I felt like, I felt like I was going to have that chance of a manager wanting me there again. Like you know, Miku had been chasing me for eighteen months previously. You know, I thought you know this it's going to be a fresh start for me. I'll yeah. I'll kind of write off this this period here and. um you know, with, with my cues and everything that had happened that second season and and I'll start afresh and everything will be carry on as, as yeah. it should do. um And on the other hand, I, w- I was sad to be leaving because as you touched on, you know, I'd had a fantastic first first season, you know, back in the season, the, what had happened with us staying up and the reception that I'd got from the supporters and everybody at the club and, you know, I felt like I was settling into it and you know, it, it was it's the it's the type of family club that you could see yourself staying at, yeah. you know, and, and and spending the, the majority of your career there. So, I was I was disappointed to be to be leaving, and, and I was a bit probably upset and disappointed with myself that I've not carried on, um, you know, what I'd started in that first part.
2: Given that you've had the range of clubs that you've had and the number of different managers that you've played for, who are the ones that left the the most positive impact on you? Who are the ones that have given you that that lift and influenced you?
3: I think looking back the whole career, I think Peter Jackson was was a big um, a big character for me, and the, the others that I, that I'll mention of a very similar people, um, very similar man managers, and and that sort of thing. So there was him, um, there was later on in my career. Uh, I'll try and put them in order if I can get them in order. <laughs> um, but there, there was um, Neil Warnock, who you know I've. Huge respect for. Really, really enjoyed playing for him, and, and he came at a time when my career was literally, you know, on a on a,
2: hanging know, on a knife edge. edge. <laughs>
3: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you put it very well there. Yeah, I was on a knife edge. I was wondering where am I going to go from here. You know what what's going to happen? Was that me?
2: Sheffield United?
3: Yeah, Chef United. So after the, the troubles that I'd had at Sunderland and to then go to Chef United and and, and have a have a similar second half of the season to what I did um, when I when I joined Blackburn um was was down to him and getting into my head and, and making me believe in, in myself a little bit again. So so him, Jacko, um and the I'd say the other one I mean there's not many i've I've disliked to be honest um i think there's only there's only two that i've that I've struggled to get on with I think the rest of it I've enjoyed but Kevin nolan was a, another a brilliant manager for right. me down at os county, county yeah. um, i mean again a very similar character very straight straightforward straight talking um all about confidence, he's, he's your friend, you know, as, as well as your manager, yeah. you know, on a personal level. I mean, he was only a year, I think just less than a year older than me. So, we, you know, we'd, we had a lot in common yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and got on really well. And, and um, so I, re- I really enjoyed working for him. So I think those three are probably the top three. But like I said, you know, there's, um, there's probably Mark Hughes, who I struggled to get to build any sort of relationship. Matt Robbins, I, I didn't, I didn't get on with at all. Huddersfield, I, I really struggled again with him, um, and I had some dealings with Roy Keane. But, uh, but having said that. Uh, I- probably I've got more respect for Roy Keane than than any of them just because of, of who he is and, and, and how he was. And the second time I had him, when, when I was leaving to go to Bristol, we were actually got on really well and and since then uh, get on well. So he was kind of one that hopefully I kind of turned a little bit.
2: Maybe it's just strikers then, John. Maybe I, 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 it's a, a scene maybe it's worth exploring at some point, but it's often Possibly. said that people who can do things really, really well and then they look at others who can't do it as well, struggle sometimes to to put themselves in the mind of those players. So there's yeah. a story you hear about Glenn Hoddle trying to, to to coach something at Swindon. And I think it was um, a free kick or something with John Moncur. And he said, No, no, do this. And he just like put three balls down the and pinged them all into the top yeah. corner. So like that, yeah. do that. Yeah. But, it, but it was natural for him. He never had to work at it. And I wonder if with someone like Mark Hughes, he sort of thinks you're being lazy or something because you've just not got the same. Innate natural ability that he had, and he can't relate to somebody who's had to work at it based on what you
3: said. I think that's definitely. Um, I think that if you if you looked into that more, I think that would definitely be a, a familiar or recurring theme. I think the the top top players. It must be it must be tough for them to, yeah. to watch training at times and think how many times can I yeah. explain this? Why or why am I having to explain this to yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I think Roy, Roy Keane. I think is was probably probably be top of that list for me just because the, the standards and what he'd been used to um yeah. in training sessions he would he would very often speak about um you know scolsey and and the way they trained and what was expected and how he'd never you'd never seen him give the ball away in training you know in, in any of the sessions that he'd trained with him <laughs> and i think at times time, yeah. he he probably looked at us at ipswich and just thought what on earth is this? I'd see me sky one over from five yards and just turn around and just probably just go. goes and walk his dogs around a long way <laughs> of the training pitch just so he doesn't have to see it. So um, I, I can totally see where you're coming from with that, and I, and I can imagine it's very very difficult to um, adjust your. Level of of kind of satisfaction yeah. to to the group that you're working with.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd love to to have the ability to put Pep Guardiola in charge of Rochdale for a season or something like that, and <laughs> see what impact he would have on that standard of player. I mean, he's Absolutely. bound to improve them. But you say, at what point does he have a nervous breakdown because he's frustrated yeah. with their ability or whatever? Anyway. Let's bring it. To, let's bring it a little bit more contemporary. Then, um, one of the highlights I wanted to touch on was uh, an FA another FA Cup tie. This time, you were on the winning side of an upset, away at Chelsea when you were playing for Bradford City. I can mm. remember that being first match on Match of the Day. How good was that then?
3: Oh, in- incredible! Incredible! It was. Um, it was just every, every cliche, every scenario of FA Cup history, you know, rolled into one game. It was just. It was in, absolutely astonishing what what we did down there. We we go we went and we, in honesty, we went down not to embarrass ourselves and to have a you know have today have a good day out. We had, you know everybody had loads of tickets. I think I had nearly fifty tickets with different family and stuff. We had I think six thousand down there. You know supporters watching, um, and we were just we were just saying, thinking you know don't embarrass yourselves, enjoy it. Um, and but take the game as, you know as serious as you should do you know go go and try and and try and, and make something happen and when we find ourselves 2-0 down after 20 minutes we're thinking oh, but um, yeah to get a goal just before half time and then you know the second half to come out and go on and, and do what we did was was just you know unbelievable and with it um, obviously I've I've done a few things recently um uh, bits of press stuff and you know discussing the games and stuff and every, every time i every time I, I talk through it in detail again you, you remember something else or you'll see a clip yeah. and and it'll it'll pick your mind to another bit so I, I can i could hopefully say that for the for the rest of my life i'll be i'll be remembering and and reliving moments of that game you know it was it was a the one game for me as a player where individually everything happened everything came together i was at the peak of of my of my abilities what what I am as a player um and i knew i couldn't have played any better and that that's a nice feeling to have actually i think there's players that will go through their career and and think you know there's always a part in the game where i could have done this i could yeah. have done that I can't pick one from that game. So it was uh, it was nice to have one of those.
2: Well, there was a lot of love on Rovers' Twitter and on our um, our forums and message boards that night for you and, and Bradford City, I think it was one of those. <laughs> this is it's steady scoring Chelsea 4-2, <laughs> amazing. So as I say, that, that warmth that we had uh, for you as a player. We certainly had a lot of people that have, uh, have followed you through, your career through. So... Notts County, curiously, towards the end of the k- career was where you, you ended up playing more games than anyone else uh, at a yeah. time I think that could be described as turbulent for Notts County. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then you end up leaving and going to then non-league Harrogate Town and the glory hasn't finished. What were the expectations of Harrogate when you signed for them and what, what did they hope to get from you?
3: Well, in, initially leaving, like I say, leaving Knox County after four years um, w- was a tough decision, and it had been a very, very turbulent four years. Is putting it mildly. <laughs> um, so, and for me to, to to have spent my whole career in in, in the top four divisions and, and not dropping into non-league football was something that I wanted to carry on. Really, I, I wasn't really looking to drop into non-league. Um, the Arrogate town thing came around. The, the chief scout literally emailed me, um, just said, "You know, would you be interested in, in in coming?" And at first, I was a bit like, "I'm, I'm, I'd rather not go into too much detail now because I'm, I'm, you know, if I can, I'd like to stay in the football league and um, and, ex- and express that." And um, a couple of days later, he said, "Look, you know, we, we'd love you just to come and have a chat with us, and and we can kind of give you the." Give you our vision and stuff, and in that time, I think i would obviously done, done a bit more due diligence, which yeah. I would do when any club um, says that says they're interested. So I'd looked at their kind of progression over the last sort of six or seven years, and and looked at the groups of players and the players that have been there. A lot of them have been there for a long time uh, and, and worked up the, the divisions with them, and um, obviously looked at the relationship between the chairman and the manager, father and son, which is obviously different as well, and. Um, I don't know. I mean, at that time, I'll be honest. They were the only club because they did it quite early on in in the, in the window. So yeah. they, they were the, they were the first club to show a real keen interest. Um, so I just told, I just went and had a chat with them and, and went and sat down with the manager and, and the chairman and and we we discussed different things and um, their kind of view was they narrowly missed out in the in the playoffs the previous season. Um, they're obviously a very a small club in terms of their infrastructure and and how they're you know the how they're working the way up and doing it the right way, doing it very close knit, family orientated again, which was um which was the case with Huddersfield, with Blackburn especially. Yeah. Um or it was then. Yes. <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, it was then well that's another podcast. Absolutely, but, um, So so yeah, it was it was just a an opportunity. They they were willing to give me the two years, which is what I wanted, obviously the security with my age and stuff. And the fact that, you know, the previous four seasons I'd played, uh, I think 140, 150 games, you know, 30 plus games a season. So I didn't see myself as an injury risk. So I was quite comfortable that I was an adamant that I wanted the two years. Um, And it was a project and and something that I just thought, you know, they're on the way up. Um, You know, they're, they're looking to get to that next stage. They needed a little bit more experience um, that was kind of my, um, you know, thing from the manager. Can you come in? Can you give us that little bit of edge? We need somebody to stick the ball in the net, which yeah. we which we felt, feel we can improve on. Um, and just a bit more experience and a bit more guile um, to try and bring a, a, a group of um, not inexperienced players, because they've played a lot of games, but at that next level... Yeah let's let's show them a little bit more what it's about what what it entails and and as a group we'll try and get there so um that was it and so I was thinking well okay we'll drop down for one season we'll get promoted and then I'll be back in the in the football league at 37 you know 38 before the end of the season and and you know then 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 I'll look at it then and see and see where I go from there and and luckily and um it's worked out perfectly you know it couldn't have gone any better. Everything's been in turmoil um, since the start of the year for for all different reasons for everybody. Um, but the football side of it just seemed to work out for me, and and it, it's turned out to be one of the best decisions you know I've made in my career.
2: Fantastic playoff final against Notts County. There, I mean, that was quite something. Quite
3: the script. It, it was. I mean, it, it was it, it was a, a world of emotions. Really, it was, there was everything. In in that uh, trip to Wembley, I'd never been there before, so it was my first trip to to Wembley. No fans there, um, yeah. so no family there and stuff, yeah, which was yeah. which was really tough. Bittersweet, so. uh, yeah. And and then again, again, like you say, against your your form club, we've played the most games for. You know, out of any club you've been at, I had a very good relationship with with a lot of the backroom staff, a lot of the obviously the. The general manager, sporting director there and, and all, the, all the office staff and everybody that works at the ground have spent a lot of time there with them. So I knew, I've, having seen the turmoil of the, the previous four years, I knew I how much that, that yeah. game yeah. meant to yeah. them, you know, you know, as professionally, but as well financially, security, you know, everything that um, that you, you want from, from your job. Uh, I knew that to, to get that they, they needed to go up so it was it was a very very um difficult day in that respect um and again th- they're the sort of things that you appreciate more as you you, you get older and you go through your career you realize yeah. what a livelihood is um and you, and you you realize you know what it means to people day in day out and what it means to the family so yeah it was it was a very strange one but you know, it, the the day as a whole was was incredible. You know, the result was fantastic. To get on the pitch was was superb, um, and it, everything just fell into place again. We played a perfect game. Um, we got a little bit nervy uh, the middle of the second half when the, you know, when it was two one and and uh, the the tide was shifting a little bit, but we, we got there over the line and in the end, you know, finished um, you know comfortable winners and, and deserved winners as well.
2: So another another season in the football league. Will this be the last one? Have you made your mind up or is it to, to see how the body holds up?
3: Uh I'm not sure. I mean it's probably looking like it. I think um I'll, I'll never say um until I'm I'm 100% sure what I'm going to do, but there's I've got a lot of other things that I'd that I'd like to pursue, a lot of other interests still involved in the game, but um, whether that'll fit in another full-time um playing season yeah uh, then i don't know but that's that's a decision that i'll have to make after christmas i think
2: well let's talk about one of those john Stead striker academy
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, how long has that
2: been going where did that come from
3: it's it started just because um a lot of things that i can remember from my you know early days of playing football the the fundamentals goal scoring all the little bits were always based on obviously your technique um you know your calmness in front of goal all all the things that you see in every coaching magazine and stuff yeah. and i just I, I just figured that i've always thought it's it'd be good for clubs to have um a position specific coach which a lot of them do actually now yeah. um and especially in the striking position, because the things that I've learned over the years about, you know, the silly things with, with, with body movement and, you know, your contact with defenders, how how you can, you know, little things that I've picked up over 20 years of playing, I've just thought it'd be a great idea to get those things Fresh into into young yeah. footballers' minds at an yeah. early age, and say, you know, if there's an opportunity to, if I do this with my body, or if I take a step this way, and and you know, offstep a defender, or you know, making comfortable little, little niggles and little bits and pieces that are the finer details that you, you 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 gain over years of playing, they were just bits like that and a bit of fun. Um, so yes, yeah, so I started doing that um, a couple of years ago. Did it for about um, nearly a year. Then obviously everything happened um, with with the pandemic. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's, at the minute's not back up and running yet. It's been it's been off now for for probably nine nine months, ten months, something like that. So um, I'll be looking whether I'll start it up again uh, in the summer um, next year, I'm, I'm not sure. Or we'll have to see what I'm doing because there's other things, like I said, I want to do. I've, I've done my B licence, UA for B. So my A licence will be starting in June. Um, and then I'm looking at doing um, a degree as well around the sports directorship right. okay. um, yeah, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I've got a, busy stuff next year so whether I manage to get it back up and going again full time we'll have to wait and see but again it's decisions I'll have to make when I know what I'm doing player wise
2: but the future still within the game hopefully?
3: I think so I think it'd be It'd be very selfish of me not to really. I think the the things that I've experienced and stuff. I think I owe it to, to obviously to the sport and and to other to other young professionals and stuff to to share that. And you know, it's it's what I've known and lived for, for my, my whole life really. So um, it'd be very difficult for me to walk away from it and and uh, and turn my back on on the game. I don't think that's that's an option. Um, I'll look at different ways where I can influence it and and hopefully you know make a make a, a positive impact on it.
2: It's working for a living, is this, say. Eh?
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: <laughs> what advice would the 37-year-old Johnstead give to the 17-year-old Johnstead?
3: Oh, God, that's a deep one, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: what do you wish you'd known back at the age of 17 when you were starting out?
3: I think when we spoke a little bit about this. I think the, the mental side of it, I think if I'd have been um, – more aware of what's happening um, around me, I think, and pick up on stuff like that before it got an issue, I think, with regards to you know going through spells when you're not scoring and yeah. if you're lacking confidence. Um, I think I've, I've built up better ways of dealing with that and and shrugging those kind of things off. And I think it's a very difficult thing to just switch on and off. I think it's only something that you can probably work on over time. Um, so yeah, so, yeah, if, if, I think if I had that as a fresh-faced 18-, 19-year-old, um, you know, after the, the highs of what I did at Blackburn and then the next kind of two and a half years, really, until I got to Sheffield United, was a really tough time. And I think I probably masked that with thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the Premier League, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'll go out with the lads on a Tuesday night and, yeah. and everything will be fine. On a Thursday, I think at times I'm probably guilty of um, shrugging off my uh, my responsibilities a little bit so i think i think that's probably the only thing i'd change
2: yeah i think it's certainly become a higher profile well, like across all sport but particularly football in the last few years about yeah there's only so much of an edge you can get physically so where's the next place to go well between the years and so much of sport is played as you say mentally that anybody that can optimise that. that is definitely on the right track. Final question then, John. I'm going to give you a fantasy testimonial game at the end of this season, and we're going to let fans in because it's a fantasy testimonial game. Which of the sides playing that you've ever played for would you want to play for in that game? And who would be your dream opponents?
3: Oh, right, okay. Um, my opponents would definitely be Real Madrid, um, just because it's Real Madrid. And any a go... particular
2: era or just Real Madrid as long as 11 guys uh, in white? I'd, I'd
3: probably go like the, the first like Galactico the era like yeah. The, yeah the Zidans and um, yeah I'd, I'd probably go right, that era there as long as Roberto Carlos didn't take any free kicks and I wasn't in the <laughs> wall or anything but um, yeah probably probably that era I'd want to play at um, I'd love to play at Spurs new stadium yeah. yeah it's probably it might not be you know but i played at um white Hart lane and looks amazing uh, it it just looks incredible yeah, yeah so I'd, I'd love to um I'm, well i'm definitely when they get the nfl back there i'm going to go down and watch but um yeah i've never been there so i'd love i'd love to play the game there uh and my team who would i go
2: you have to be very diplomatic now aren't you
3: I know uh, i'm not going to say any blackburn because that would be too it would be too <laughs> obvious people think i'm lying, although although it would be up there i w- i think i would say my um my Huddersfield Town team, but not my professional team. I think I'd go my last year in the academy at right. Town. The lads who had spent, obviously, the last, well since, well, since 12, 13 years old. And there's still a lot of them. Play. I mean, John Worthington, we, we mentioned earlier, who got sent off in that. He's, um, he's coaching at Huddersfield Town. Um, Nathan Clark's still playing centre-half for Halifax. So he's another one. Phil, season, Phil Senior, like I said, is a, a goalkeeper here. Uh, David Murphy, he's recently retired, but went on to play for Scunthorpe. Uh, Andy Holsworth, he's a coach now. I don't know whether he's still at Sunderland, but he was at um, Barnsley for a while. Um, so all, all the lads, uh, the majority of lads, some of some have gone on and not carried on playing football, but the majority are still in the game. So it'd be it'd be nice to have a catch up with all of them and play a match again.
2: That sounds fantastic. That sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, is there going to be an autobiography one day?
3: Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> i don't know about that um i don't know if, if there was if there was an appeal for for people to want to read it then ob- obviously it'd be something i'd look at but um i'd be interested in in speaking more about the the transitional phase throughout Players' career—that's something that I'd I'd be interested in in, uh, putting down on paper. Like the obviously what I'm experiencing now, coming towards the end of my career. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, every everybody's going to experience that, and I think um, it's probably a bit daunting um, for some. Um, I've had—I've probably got less restrictions in in that respect. if you you know the worries of the financial side of it and stuff like that, and, and you know what you're going to do next and stuff, but there's probably a lot of players that are really wondering where do I go from here, um, and if you've got nothing planned or nothing set up and and, and stashed away, then uh, um, it can it can prove difficult. So I think that's something that um, I'd like to see more of. If it's not me or somebody else, a bit more of a um, you know I'm sure the PFA do do mm. bits and advice and stuff but I think if there was something written down especially mm. a higher pro player than myself who'd been through that transition it'd be interesting for a lot of players to read
2: I think there's some there's something in that you know I think you should think about it the, the way that you've talked about passing on wisdom and experience and all the rest of it through coaching I think as mm. you say it can go beyond it because the the success percentage of players who make it is so small and even those that make it yeah have careers at lots and lots of different levels yeah. something worth thinking about John it's been an absolute pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure So that there's not that many players who played for Blackburn Rovers for less than two years that had such a positive impression on the club and the fans and are still thought of as warmly as you are. Uh, you've made a massive contribution to the club, you helped keep us in the Premier League and I think uh, yours is, is one of those names that we always look out for. The only difficult thing we've found in the last few years is finding out who you played for. I think that, That's <laughs> been one of the biggest challenges. One so, of well, my
3: for much longer. I don't
2: think. <laughs> One of my uh, fellow podcast panelists he does this thing uh, before every game of of pointing out the former players that have played for both sides. Uh, and I think your name appears clearly <laughs> more often than most. So we just start the list with, well, John's dead. He must have played for there. That's yeah, what I was playing for start Romans. with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a lovely ch- uh, lovely chat and uh, all the very best for Harrogate Town this season. And whatever you decide to do next year, you welcome back to, to tell us about it at any time.
3: Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
2: It's my pleasure as always on the BRFCS podcast to welcome a special guest and it's Joe Harvey from uh, Rovers Analytics once more and as seems to be happening with increasing regularity he posts something which uh, intrigues me and then we have a conversation about it and we include it in the podcast. So it's the same, same old story here. Joe, how are you this evening? Yes, not too bad. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So you tweeted the other day, what is a box formation? And i would heard this, this quoted, and it's something that I think Rich Sharp has mentioned in a few of his match reports about rovers dropping into a mm. box formation. So um, it piqued my interest, as so many of your tweets do. So would you like to engage us and tell us what is a box formation, please?
1: Yeah, I think, like yourself, I was really intrigued by it at the start as well, because I think we started to see it as this kind of plan B, uh, especially towards the end of the Millwall game, where I found myself saying, is John Buckley up front there? Is John Buckley playing as the the striker there? And I kind of told myself afterwards that I'd have to go back through that footage and really analyse it. And what we were really seeing was no strikers and four kind of half strikers, really. And we kind of heard all about this false nine and we kind of played with four of them. So then we saw it again uh, because we started at Brentford in that formation that we finished with at Millwall and and Mowbray kind of hinted that that would be the case when he said we were going to try something a little bit different pre-match to see how they could handle it. And I think before a minute was even on the clock, we'd had two shots on goal and one a corner. uh, It was very attacking from the go. So straight away, it really piqued my interest because I did genuinely believe that Mowbray had kind of reached his ideal point there with the 433 and that was the end of the journey that's where we needed to get to but maybe there's more development to come on that so t- tell
2: us about it to the uninitiated then uh, those of us that have grown up in a generation that was sort 442 as being the, the solid formation what does this look and feel like and what what do we, what should we look out for on the field
1: well it's really interesting I think firstly we have to talk about where Adam Armstrong plays here because he's obviously the main man, the guy that we're trying to create goals for. And with this kind of box formation, he's kind of sharing that role up top with Sam Gallagher, really. And they both stay quite high and quite wide um, and not really in the middle. And we saw Armstrong quite far left. Uh, And then you end up with kind of Joe Rothwell, Harvey Elliott, John Buckley, all these kind of attacking midfielder types. And maybe as we'll touch on Bradley Dack when he returns... Uh, in these kind of central half zones, not really up front, not really in the midfield. Uh, and, and and I think really it's quite a confusing formation for, for for oppositions to deal with. And basically, when we say box, what we're talking about is this kind of connection of four players in the middle. Um, we've got three different boxes in a box formation. So you've got your defensive box, which kind of includes your two holding midfielders, so like a, a Bradley Johnson and a Tom Tribal. Uh, with your two centre backs. So we saw Daryl Lenihan with Scott Wharton. Uh, and that's kind of a defensive four. That's a box at the back with Thomas Kaminsky kind of helping. And then you've got like a midfield box, which includes your two more attacking midfielders and your two defensive midfielders. And then you've got this rotating, fluid attacking box with four players, which includes your attacking midfielders and and your uh, and your strikers. And the only players really in the box formation that don't fit into one of these boxes are the are the fullbacks in in Nyambe and Douglas, uh, who kind of have this free role uh, to stay nice and high and nice and wide. It puts a lot of responsibility on them um and obviously with John Buckley having to fill in in that position against Brentford it was a really difficult game for him and I thought that given there was so much responsibility on the fullbacks in that match I thought he uh, performed amicably.
2: Yeah, I felt I felt really sorry for him. <laughs> I thought he was being thrown to the dogs at first because <laughs> obviously you, you're a man short. So the dynamism that this formation might uh, might allow it means everyone's just stretched that little bit more. And I think when mm. he, when he first went to to right back, he, he looked exposed and he wasn't getting the cover that he uh, that he would normally expect because I think Nyambi is just such a such a marauding fallback. So in this formation, the width doesn't come from traditional wingers. It comes from the fullbacks that you've mentioned. Where does that leave the likes of Tyrese Dolan? Where does it leave... Uh, well, Harry Chapman has struggled, as we know, to get into the first team, but is there any room whatsoever for a traditional winger in this team?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating, really, isn't it? Because Mowbray likes to play Sam Gallagher's out on the wing, and your Harvey Elliott's much more central. Um, obviously Joe Rothwell played a lot on the wing when he was younger and when he first came to Rovers and has now come central and we're starting to see the rewards of that of course with the goal that he scored um, down at the Brentford Community Stadium as it's now known the new the new stadium there uh, so you kind of see Harvey Elliott and Tyrese Dolan and Joe Rothwell type players playing in these kind of right central and left central channels not really out on the wing driving with the ball into the middle um, and, and very often rotating round so we play with a very high and very intense press. Um, and we, you know, We're putting pressure on the goalkeeper. We're trying to pin them back into the corners. Uh, that is really tiring and, and there's a huge injury risk with that as well. So you see this rotation where the two in behind often swap with the two up top. So you might have Harvey Elliott and Joe Rothwell going and doing the press with Armstrong and Gallagher waiting a little bit deeper to have a rest because they've been running for so long. That rotation, whether it's clockwise or a complete, you know, they just know what they're doing and they mix it up. Um, It is interesting to see and it confuses me. So I can imagine that on the pitch in the moment, it must be quite confusing for opposition defenders as well. As for Tyrese Dolan and where he can fit into this, I mean, I think what we will see if we continue with this formation is that this will be a plan B. So I think that this is where we'll go to. If we're struggling to break teams down, or maybe we might start games with this formation to really put the press on and then revert back to what we're used to. And I think with his role coming off the bench at the minute, it gives us a little bit of fluidity with those systems. Mm.
2: In the thread that you posted, I think you you talk about it in the final third, creating an overload because you've got six players potentially um, confronting the opposition's defence. I I, I guess that means, therefore, that you've got fewer in defence. So the people that are the last man need to have pace in case there's a fast counter attack. Um, are lenahan and Ayala um, are they, <laughs> how well suited are they to, to covering in, in that situation? In your view?
1: Well, uh, not particularly well suited, and I think that's where the flaw to this system comes in. Um, what you know, with Nyambe and Douglas so high, the holding midfielders pull a little wide and basically make up a back four in a way with your centre-backs. So you've got coverage, but like, say, when you look across those players, Bradley Johnson, Tom Tribal, Daryl Lenehan, and it was Scott Wharton, but, you know, Daniel Ayala, none of them possess a a real turn of pace. It's not like Ryan Lambie when he stays back on his corners. So, yeah, there is a huge element of being exposed there. I mean, Ivan Tony for the penalty and the red card, I mean, he, he got in in that kind of right central channel, um, and that comes from your fullback being so high up the pitch and having to get back, and, and then a slower and less defensively able player uh, filling in a gap, basically. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely flaws to the, to the formation, and that's one of the major ones. It creates an overload up top, but leaves us a little bit slow at the back.
2: Who are the prime exponents of this that we might recognise or we might look out for in, say, the Premier League or in Europe?
1: See that's that's why I was so fascinated because I, I don't actually think there's many people doing this um, or playing in this way. I think in some ways a lot of what this is draws again back to Liverpool. Um, obviously, Liverpool play this four-three-three with a false nine, and we emulated it for a while. And Jurgen Klopp and Tony Mowbray kind of talked about it, and Harvey Elliott's come because we play a similar style and. Liverpool often revert to similar situations to this as well. When they're in the final third, you see Trent Alexander-Arnold as high as we see Nyambe and in those right central areas getting the ball into the box and being that creative outlet mm-hmm. high and wide at the top of the pitch. You know Barry Douglas, Andy Robertson, there's obviously the Scottish connection there, but again, their positioning on the field and their responsibilities to get the ball into the box. I think Barry Douglas statistically has got such a high creative output so far in his time here, because we're asking him to to put a lot of balls in, and I think Sam Gallagher is going to score more goals because of it.
2: He's not quite got the athleticism of Robertson, sadly, but then again, if he had, no. I that Leeds would loan him out to us. So one last question on this um, on this formation, Joe. Where might Bradley Beck fit into this, and does this ease him back into the side?
1: See, I think that's why I quite like this, and there's definitely... An element to it where you could say maybe that's why we're trialling this now and using it here and there because it's where we want to get to to get Dak in this team and scoring goals and playing well. I think the issue is that the role that you see him in is probably in the Harvey Elliott or Joe Rothwell role Mm. in behind so you know I think there's going to be some key rotation there Um, Mowbray obviously insinuating today that it will be Doncaster in the cup that he'll be back for, which is obviously a great game for him to come back in against a League One opposition. I'm sure he'll get a goal there. Um, but yeah, so probably in that hole, but with the rotation um, round from striker to attacking midfielder, I think it will suit his game. Some games he's going to need to be that man in the box coming in at the last minute and, and poaching from three yards and other games we're going to need his creativity instead in slightly deeper areas, yeah. Um, but I think his formation, much more than the Plan A four three three formation, yeah. suits Bradley Dack much better.
2: It's one of those, those tremendous questions that everybody, I think, has posed in recent weeks as he's got closer and closer to fitness. And, of course, the reveal will happen at some point sooner rather than later, hopefully, but uh, he's such, yes. a, such a great talent. The thing that really excites me is how he might link with someone like Elliot, because I think Elliot's vision and the way he can pick and thread a pass is is probably the best we've had since dare, dare I say it too, guy. It's, it's sort of like his his vision and the way that he can he can just find space and the perfect way to pass. Dak not renowned for his pace, but he's certainly got skill, technique and has a similar eye for a gap and ghosting into space. That I just find that really exciting. And if if op- opposition defenses focus on him, then it's more space for the likes of Armstrong, Gallagher, Brereton, or whatever. So it's really interesting. Well, thanks once again for that, Joe. There's one other thing I want to touch on before we let you go, and that's the, uh, the, the, dare I say the Big Fat Rovers Quiz of the Year. Uh, which you've got lined up for just before Christmas, and uh, you've very kindly invited BRFCS along. At the moment, I think I'm in the chair, unless the, unless somebody particularly wants to take it seriously. I am absolutely terrified that I'm going to get absolutely trounced by people who know their stuff. And I've insisted on a round of questions in the 1970s. I don't know whether I'll get that because that's technically not this year, but we shall see what uh, what happens. Joe, tell us about the event and, and what it's all in aid of.
1: Yeah, so we're really excited about it. Um, We kind of formulated this idea not so long ago and said, what could we do? And originally it wasn't supposed to be this big thing. It was just going to be a bit of a continuation of some of the lockdown quizzes we did a while ago. But we pushed it on and and threw some ideas around and took on some advice from yourself and from some other organisations. So in the end, we've kind of gone for this panel show vibe, um, all in aid of raising money for the Salvation Army in Blackburn. And um, We'll have a Just Giving link and we'll be trying to raise money throughout the evening and all of the revenue from the Rovers Chat website and social media and sponsorship will be going to the Salvation Army for December. And we've got some sponsors involved as well. So um, we're going to have panellists, like I said, from BRFCS, Rovers Chat. And we've also got Jacob Crook from Lanx Live. And Rich Sharp from the Lancashire Telegraph. And then we've got a whole host of special guest appearances who will be coming along to wish the Rovers fans a Merry Christmas. So we've got current players, former players, players from the Rovers ladies team, as well as some famous Blackburn blue tickers on, uh, (laughs) on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatnot as well. So it's all going down on the 23rd of December. Uh, it'll be on YouTube, live on Twitter as well, and we're just going to have fun with it, raise some money, and get all of the Rover's kind of content creators involved.
2: Fantastic! It sounds it sounds really really interesting. I have to say, I am looking forward to it. Or joking aside, uh, but I'm under tremendous psychological pressure from my my <laughs> colleagues in BRFCS to to not let the side down. So. <sighs> We'll see how we handle that, but there we go. looking forward to it, notwithstanding Joe, thanks for your time once again, my friend. Uh, always interesting talking to you. It's always interesting to get an insight into something that isn't my natural forte, and you you're doing your bit to educate me if nobody else so uh, thanks once again.
1: No problem, thanks very much for having me.
0: Okay, so that's about all the time we have, but just a reminder to please familiarize yourself with the proper guidelines by visiting the website for the Centers for Disease Control or the World Health Organization. Who? Yes. Whose website? That's correct. Yeah, who? Yes. Okay, I go to the website. Yes. Whose website? That's right. Ryan, we're in a crisis here. I don't think it's time to be dicking around. Who gives the guidelines? Yes, who gives the guidelines? That's what I'm asking! God, I hate you right now! Look, the point is, we can get through this. That's right, we've got to have each other's backs, because we're all in this together. (coughs) Get the fuck away from me! Okay, this has gone well. Uh, hang in there everyone, stay home as directed by your local and state governments, and we can beat this thing and get back to life. You want to play sorry?